Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen to Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest in unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so you have more time to plot on how to use your creativity to end capitalism. Yes. And racism and other forms of discrimination. Welcome to 2020, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's a paradigm. It's transitional. It's We're shifting. It's good. I know that 2020 is a disaster, but also I'm excited for how the conversation is shifting. I've been having conversations with relatives that I never thought I could talk about police brutality to, or even like pronouns, like talking about using people's mm-hmm. right pronouns. I've been having that conversation as well. And it's nice. It's good. Oh yeah. People are ready for change. I think that the pandemic has, it's really shifted people's per- perceptions of what we can leave behind and what isn't really serving yeah. us. When you're sort of like a cog in the machine of like white supremacy and capitalism, it's exhausting. Like it's hard to participate in your civic duty if you're constantly just wondering if you're going to get evicted because you're not paying rent or you're looking at your next paycheck because you need to buy groceries or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that, it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And frightening. It's really hard. (laughs) Like on all degrees, right? Like, yeah. At the end of the day, no matter what, who we are as people, we all have to feed ourselves. And if we can't even have these basic needs met, how how are we like, none of us will be able to really like shift the dial or whatever the hell it's called. (laughs) Move the needle. Move Move the needle, needle. I think is the expression. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy work, but I'm really excited to get into it with our guest today. Mm-hmm. Kelly Small. They're the author of The Conscious Creative. I was really excited to bring them on just because I've been following them for a few months now on Instagram. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this so much. Basically, how do we contribute with our work yeah. in a way that isn't just about making money or making yeah. something look good or, you know, in your case, writing a, a fluffy story that is... It's like, how do you actually hit home and like create change with your work and just having read the synopsis and then actually having read it for real it was like everything that I have been thinking about and just like one mulling over my mind for the last few years about like what is it that I'm actually doing you know I don't want to just sell people shit that they don't need and that was one of the main reasons why I left agency life was because it just felt empty and yeah and really profit driven only profit driven (laughs) that was literally yeah 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 I'm really grateful to Kelly and their publisher for providing us with an advanced reader copy of the book because I got so much out of it. I feel like that's the central tenet of the book is that Kelly is kind of saying, well, they'll speak to it better than I can, obviously. But what I took away from it is that if you're a creative person and you are expressing parts of yourself through your art in any way, even if it's in a corporate context because we have to make money, we have an obligation to look at the systems that we might be contributing to that we are upholding and we have a duty to make it better for everyone Mm -hmm. and more representative of the diversity that we so desperately need Mm -hmm. to have rich and fulfilling lives. And this book is just full of actionable ways to do that. I mean, it's a great starting point, even just in terms of the reading list, the resources list at the back, because you know, I love an index. (laughs) (laughs) 
there are so many books that Kelly refers to that they used as foundational for their writing of this book. And they're getting you started, pointing you in the right direction, giving all of these really actionable things that you can start implementing in your daily career, in your work right away. And then there's like, okay, for more information on this, go here. For more information on this, you can read this book. You know, For an expansion on this idea, you can read this. And it's just, I just feel like it's invaluable. It's like a little handbook. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I pre-ordered mine. I'm ready to get it. I, I know I got, <laughs> I got the digital copy, but I'm ready for the hard, hard copy. <laughs> yes. We like the printed. Well, it's something too that you can, I can, you, I, we, the world yeah. can always reference. You can always yeah, go back you can to mark and mark it up. Yeah. That's Love the that. thing that I really like. I know. I really yeah. do like writing in a book. <laughs> yes. I just, <laughs> I just attended a workshop uh, on writing and the speaker, the host of the workshop, she was like holding up books that she was using for research and they were just, they had like a main of sticky notes like it was like a halo <laughs> like you like she held it up and she was like i really like to use to and i was like oh my gosh same that was halo. <laughs> it was awesome. sticky note halo, sticky note halo. <laughs> this material is so rich in kelly's book and having it on hand to reference and also kind of go over more than once i think you will get the most value out of it for sure we're so glad that you're here i'm so excited to be here look at your fancy background oh my god i had to explain i'm glad i'm not the only one who is rocking the zoom background right now because i always have a lot of fomo around that can we can we just talk about how the two visual creatives are like (laughs) There's nothing behind us. <laughs> nothing. I've got a couch. Like yeah. I'm, I'm literally sitting on the floor on a meditation cushion. You have some yeah, prints yeah. on the it, wall. Geo has a thing. This is like because my <laughs> husband Twitch streams, which I find both endearing and embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and fair enough. <laughs> I had a socially distanced social with the with my company today for the first time seeing everybody for the first time in like four months and it was like really nerve-wracking initially it was like oh my god i'm gonna see humans and like i'm gonna see a bunch of humans do i want to do this anymore turns out i still know how to socialize like more or less so it was really nice it was actually lovely to like get out and we just hung out in a park and ate food it was great which park sounds awesome uh we went to grange park just behind ocad my old stomping grounds same same it was nice to be back there when i was reading the book i saw that you went to ocad so what uh, were you in advertising no actually i was in uh i was in the design program i have a, a b does in uh, graphic design oh uh, yes is that what you have <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah nice i was there 2007 to 2011 a little bit after me but not by not by enough to make me feel like too old or badly about myself <laughs> <laughs> Good job, always- Gio, just like we rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, I nailed it. It was actually like 2014. <laughs> I have to say though, I do miss I do miss that part of the city. Like I haven't heard anyone say Grange Park in so many years. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it either. And and being back there was it was this blast from the past and all of a sudden I got hungry for like those beef patties across the road at the Grange. <laughs> yes. with the, I don't 
even remember what the pop was called, but it was grapefruit flavored. And it was like the most delicious thing I'd ever eaten. And that combination basically kept me alive. Oh, they were amazing. Kelly, if you're good with it, we'll maybe jump in with you, maybe just talking a little bit more about what you do. Right now, I'm an executive creative director at a little shop called Grass Riots. We're about 20 people, work exclusively in the nonprofit and social profit sector, which is amazing. We work for folks like Doctors Without Borders. We work for Amnesty International, like some of the sort of biggest charities, but also lots of smaller initiatives as well, which is, which is great and feels amazing. My background is like, way different from this. So I fell into advertising. Like I started as a graphic designer, one of those like ad buster reading, like design can change the world. People is like, I've got this and I'm going to like make change in the world. And then I got it into the industry, was initially making no money. And then someone was like, hey, you, do you want to be a senior art director? And I was like, Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And then all of a sudden I was working on massive brands and it seemed really shiny and really exciting. And I completely sold my soul for a while. It really, it really started to suck almost immediately. I was so young that I don't think I had the wherewithal to understand like where my anxiety was coming from, but something didn't feel quite right. And so I was like struggling a lot through, through really most of my career, like up until this point really sort of fighting to like stay on top of it and like doing a decent job and like winning some awards but it was an uphill climb you know and it wasn't all bad like I I met some of my closest friends doing what I did I met some amazing people um had some really cool like travel experiences I got to go to Guatemala and just some some really cool stuff as a creative director in advertising proper that has these like massive budgets But at the end of the day, it was really, really tough to keep up with, you know, not only the gender disparities that I was facing, the homophobia. Oh my gosh, there were so many issues. Sexual harassment happened. I was selling products that I just didn't believe in. I was contributing to overconsumption in like such an extreme way that... I just couldn't feel good about it anymore. So that's kind of what led me to like take a break from the industry, went back to school for a while, went to Emily Carr and focused on ethics and social innovation and social impact. And long story short, I wrote a book out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which we can get into all of that afterwards. I I don't know how long I should go on about this. (laughs) No, it's good. You're like the dream guest. You're giving us all of our segues. We don't even have to set them up. This is literally why, in a way, and I'm going to use this word, but I've been hounding you a little bit to come on because honestly, once I started following you on Instagram and I was reading up on you, I was like, this person is literally the summary or the manifestation of what I want to achieve and what I want to strive for because everything that you've just said is exactly why I left agency life. Literally like taking off all the boxes of Yes, that's I went through that. Yes, I went through that. And you put it perfectly. It's just you almost want to just jump off the moving train because you're like, I I don't care anymore. I can't be part of this because you know, it's going nowhere for you personally as a as an individual and also as a society. It's so like lovely to have that reflected back to me as well. Because I remember in 2015, I was working for this global digital agency. And I was like, just completely falling apart. I was working on massive brands, like still doing some really cool stuff, but 
personally and like just I was just losing it like feeling mm -hmm. so anxious all the time and feeling like I was in the wrong place and feeling so guilty about like what I was complicit in by continuing to work in that field and I remember wow. I sat across from this friend of mine who I had met at another agency who had basically left everything moved to France met her like beautiful French husband, took up like skydiving, um, started a podcast, was just like cool as shit. Like this person, like oh she is cool. Now she lives in New Zealand. She's got a baby. Like it's just, she's vegan of course, cause she's just perfect. So I remember sitting across from her. Oh no, no, you no, said he's vegan. <laughs> like I mean, I don't, I don't know what the baby eats, like, to be honest. <laughs> But yeah, like I was sitting across from her and same, like she was reflecting all of these ideals back to me and it felt impossible at the time. I was like, how the hell do I start dismantling these ideas about like what success means and like still keep a roof yes. over my head and like still put food on the table, um, but find more like balance in my life and, you know, find a way to go to work every day where I'm not feeling like garbage. Oh, that's so incredible. I just want to like pull apart everything you just said, because you're talking about how we exist in this capitalist society and it's so difficult. And that's one of the themes that you touch in in the book is that it's really difficult to exist in this society. And you have to, you have to pay bills. You have to be able to buy groceries, but you don't want to contribute, as you said, to that kind of like, like mouse wheel or hamster wheel of, of mindless consumption. So mm -hmm. how did you get to the point where you turned kind of these like horrible toxic experiences into the the fuel to like write this book and like help help us help me <laughs> the yes. people reading to put that together and kind of get past that overwhelm and look for places to start do you want the like cleaned up version or do you want the like real <laughs> you give talk us version whatever version you want yeah we like you real know talk. i'm gonna give you like uh somewhere in between but like it wasn't oh. easy it's like it's not one of those stories where you hear someone was just like, and then I said, fuck it. And I walked out the door and my whole life changed. And like, it was not that. I got really sick. I ended up with shingles and like was oh in, in like incredible amounts of pain. Like so weird to get, I was like 33 or something. I had like a total mental health crisis. I became incredibly depressed. And so at the time when I was really deciding like what I needed to do next, it w I was kind of at a crossroads where it felt almost essential for me to make a change. And I just kind of took a leap of faith. I, all I, I didn't know what I was going to find next. And I kept saying to everyone who was asking me, but what's next? Like I said, I don't know. It's all ambiguous. All I know is I love design. So I'm going to pursue that again. I'm going to get back to like what design can really do. And I was going to do that by pursuing my master's degree, which I always wanted to get in design. And I knew I was going to focus my research in areas of social impact or I was just kind of throwing stuff at the wall, like something that wasn't going to feel like crap when I was mm -hmm. doing it, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. So so I, uh, I joined the Desis Lab when I joined Emily Carr, which is the Design for Social Innovation Towards Sustainability, which taught me tons. I showed up there as this like ex-advertising person who I felt so out of my depth. <laughs> I barely spoke and just kind of listened to everybody and all of their like these amazing like activists and people who are running transition towns and like talking about permaculture and all of these like really important ways of, of building better societies that I hadn't even thought of. 
that sort of started to build me back up and I started to get healthier again. But interestingly, before I sort of found my place and like the route I was going to take in my research, I started reading a lot about ethical design. And what I found was that a lot of the people that I was reading were basically saying like, yeah, ethical design can exist easy, but you have to extricate it from the marketplace entirely. Basically, they were saying capitalism and ethics cannot coexist. And that kind of doubled down on me feeling depressed. It doubled down on me feeling anxious because it was, oh my God, well, how can I ever earn a living again? Like, am I, am I destined to, who even knows? So I made that my thesis question. Long story short, after sort of yes. panicking a little while, I was like, well, wait a second. How can these two things coexist? Because quite frankly, they have to. We are stuck in a capitalist society. Absolutist notions of good and bad cannot exist here. So there must be a way to affect incremental change within problematic systems in order to not only feel better about what we're doing, but, but yes, like slowly start to affect change. We can't really expect mm -hmm. to just like snap our fingers and have the solution. So I went a little bit against the grain of like some of the folks that I was learning with and tried to marry those two worlds of like commerce and actual like work of design, uh, industry of design and ethics. And that's sort of what brought me to that place. When did this all take place as far as a bit of a timeline of like when you started, when were you like, I'm going to write a book? Like I am going to take all of this life experience and, and say, I need to do something in order to push the narrative. It happened. It would have been, God, more real talk. I like you guys so much. I'm just going to be like really honest with you. <laughs> That's Yay, what we, we want like that. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so I went to Emily Carr and I did my first semester. And in my first semester is when I started reading all of those. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to disparage anybody. I started reading all of those academics who were talking about extricating design from the marketplace in order to realize an ethical practice. And that's when I sort of had like round two of, oh God, I'm really depressed. Yeah. And I ended up getting really sick again and I had to take a year off. So in that year off, I took really good care of myself. I got mental health help, which I really needed, which, you know, and I, and I think it's important to talk about because this is something that a lot of queer people deal with. Yes. And, uh, and I'm no different. In doing that and actually giving myself some space and time to think and to just, I did a lot of yoga. I was out in Vancouver, so I like walked the seawall a lot and I, I cycled and, it, and I slowed my whole life down and was able to give myself this, uh, this chance to think. And it, it always reminds me just as a sidebar of, I don't know if you ever saw Sagmeister's Happy Show. Did you ever go yes. to that? It was so good. Also, Wasn't it great? I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan of yellow. So like the fact that I got to see everything in yellow, every room was amazing. Oh yeah. That would have made you super happy because it yeah. was like intensely <laughs> yellow. I don't know if you remember, there was a visualization on the wall that was, there was the bar of what a normal person's, like an average person's life looks like where you like learn and then you work and then you retire. And Sagmeister had done a second version where he iterated on it and took little segments of uh, his retirement and slotted them into work life. Mm -hmm. And while I was taking that year off and I was really taking care of myself and really fighting like a sort of inner saboteur to speak like Ru RuPaul, saying that like, I didn't deserve to take this time off. Like how, how dare you? Like you should be producing. You're not worthy if you're not mm -hmm. like producing something. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking of Sagmeister's happy show and that like, there's nothing wrong with taking a break to sort of refuel yourself after 
I mean, I had been working for over 12 years, I think, and pumping out creative every day. Like that, that's a lot. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and then the book came to be because, you know, I always sort of was in this battle between like visual arts and, uh, and writing and visual arts really won out for me. And that's where I focused my schooling and everything on, but it occurred to me that this thesis, because it was so self-directed that I could kind of design whatever my thesis was going to be. And I, I just, I feel like I have so much that I want to share about this. And I, I went to my supervisor and I said, what do you think if I write a book? Can I do that? Is that even like allowed for a design thesis? And gratefully, my uh, supervisor, Catherine Gillison, who's fantastic, who I still work with, she's a design writer as well and really appreciates writing as a, as a creative act and as an act of designing in and of itself. And uh, so she allowed me to do that. And a bunch of people told me it wasn't possible because I basically had a year and a half to write a book. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it happened. I managed to do it. And so there was like a first draft that happened as my sort of thesis and all of the really deep research that I did for the book came out of my master design degree. And then once it got picked up by a publisher, I was able to take the time to go in and refine and rewrite and uh, and sort of make it work for a much broader audience. But yeah, the core of the work happened there. And it was really just, I, I attribute it to taking some time to breathe. I really do. Yeah. And I mean, I, I also should caveat that with it's an incredible privilege to be able to do that. Like I had sold my condo in Toronto and was living on savings. I'm very, very grateful that I was able to do that. Hey everyone, this is Gio. And I just wanted to let you know that Listen To Me podcast is hosting our very first giveaway. Now, I think we can all agree that the world is a very complicated place. Capitalism can be pretty unforgiving, and the need for paid work remains higher than ever. Rent, student loans, grocery bills. The Conscious Creative, the new book by Kelly Small, is an actionable guide to mindfulness and practical ethics for any creative professional wanting to make a living without selling their soul. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Enter for a chance to win a copy of The Conscious Creative by heading to our Instagram, Listen To Me Podcast, for more information. Contest ends August 5th and is only applicable in North America. Thanks, and let's get back to our interview with Kelly Small. I want to point out one of the things that you said about your thesis and how you said, I can design my thesis any way I want, or I can, it can look however I want it to you can parlay that into life, which is what you're doing right now. You're designing the life that you want. And it's so true. We're born into this system where we're almost like indoctrinated into capitalism. And we think, okay, like you said, you live, you go to school, you graduate, you get hitched, you retire and you die. And especially now during the pandemic, people are really waking up and seeing this is not a way of life. This is not how we want to be doing things. And and everyone is looking to kind of shift how we approach our everyday life. The timeliness of this book. <laughs> Having I was reading it in the backyard, and I'm like, "This is this is so right now. This is everything." Oh, that's that you- awesome to hear. But it is. It, it is. Yeah. It's exactly what people need to be reading right now. Yeah. I uh, I really appreciate that, and uh, I 
totally share your sentiment around uh, designing the life you want. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's something that, you know, when I, when I met my wife, we talked about a lot because we had both been in unhappy relationships and she, we actually met at an agency job. She, she was a managing director at, uh, at one of the agencies I was at. <laughs> and we've both since sort of left that world and are actively designing this new life that we want that we've sort of found together. And I think it's just incredibly important in every facet. In the post-pandemic world, there is this incredible opportunity to, you know, all of the horrific aspects of this, notwithstanding, you know, obviously like there's so much that has happened that is devastating. To your point, there has been this sort of awakening in a lot of areas of our lives. I mean, of course, there's the Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter movement that is really dominating right now. Compl everyone I'm talking about, it is completely changing how they hire. It's incredible. So you've got that, you've got remote first happening. You've got like Shopify saying office centricity is over. Yeah. Loved it. And, and as, with it, as, the death of the 40-hour work week, I hope. Yes, <laughs> yes. You, you've got people talking about, I think it was Twitter was talking about doing like a 2080. I don't remember exactly what they called it, but where it was like every other week you get like a Friday off. Mm -hmm. So there are things that I think we should probably take out of this and that are actually, um, if we really look at them and this 40-hour work week that you talked about, it's so ableist. Yeah. Like if you look at people who, you know, it, as long as you are able-bodied, uh, you're not struggling with your mental health, you don't have, you know, other hindrances or like a family that you're trying to take care of at the same time, there are so many different factors to a person's life that the way we've designed the working life is just not ideal for so many of us. And so yeah. I'm very hopeful that moving forward, flexibility becomes the thing. And in the same way that the medical community is moving toward personalized medicine, that yeah. we move toward personalized uh, working schedules. You know, like everybody learns differently. Everybody works differently. Why are we not considering that and throwing everyone into these like goddamn open office environments, Ugh. which I'm not into if I at all. hear the words collaborative space one more time, I swear <laughs> to God. I totally. Swear. I can't. I can't. I worked for an agency once. It was like, oh my God, you're going to love it. We just have open office and you can sit anywhere you want and move around and talk to them. I was like, you know what? No. Okay, let's bring it back to your book, Kelly, before I get <laughs> on my soapbox of rage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do love a good soapbox of rage. <laughs> this isn't about me or my soapbox. So what I love about your book so much is that you, so you're taking these kind of philosophical overtones and these like big ideological concepts and you're pairing them with the practicalities of living in a capitalist society, right? Is there anything that you want to talk about like right off the hop from your writing experience that you think would make like a good accessibility point into this book? Like what are the actions that you focus on? Like I really enjoyed that there's so much practical advice, like even how mm -hmm. to like start conversations or like frame conversations and mm. what people to talk to, like how it's appropriate. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe what your thought process behind structuring the book that way was? Oh yeah, sure. For sure. I have some real questions about it. <laughs> no, that's a, that, that's a really it's a really good question because the um, the structure of the book has taken a few different forms in its various mm -hmm. iterations, but the most recent version, and hopefully this answers your question, but the most recent version is actually organized based on a sustainability principle. 
Um, So it's, it's organized based on, uh, and I think his name is Stuart Walker, his quadruple bottom line of sustainability. So in order to realize sustainability, I talk about this, I think a little bit in the book as well, that you have to uh, hit the personal, the economic, the social and the environmental. And so that's how I've broken out the content that way. And then the actions are designed to be sort of the antithesis of a manifesto, which as designers, we're so accustomed to. And like, I love them as much as everybody else. And they like get me going. And the first thing's first manifesto is, is just like a piece of design history that is essential. But what I've found is that I had spent 12 years or more reading manifestos and like not actioning on anything. Yeah. Because they sort of were just like, and we're going to change the world. And then it was over. How? Okay, guys, but like, (laughs) what are we going to do about it? Um, And so I really, um, because my research, so much of my research sort of started in the place of manifestos because there's so many of them. I really wanted to write something that was more practical and actionable. So I made sure that every single piece of, of guidance that I incorporated into the book was in fact actionable, even if it's something that you have to sort of look inside and change in and of yourself, like in the personal section. I like that because it kind of like dovetails into another question that I had about the overwhelm of it, right? Because we're so, as Gio said, like we're indoctrinated into the system from birth. And even when you were talking about, you know, this idea of integrating things that you would associate with retirement into your your actual life, the span of your life. For a lot of people, that's revolutionary. Like I swear to God, mm-hmm. someone's going to listen to this episode and be like, my mind is blown. Like I can't <laughs> with this. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So with the quadruple bottom line philosophy and that approach to sustainability, is that was that intentional too when you designed the book in terms of helping bust that that feeling of overwhelm? There's just so much work to do. How do we even approach this kind of thing? Maybe slightly unintentionally. I, no, I just take think, full credit for it. I'm going to take full credit for it. Then yes, absolutely. That is that was my full intention. <laughs> Yes. And in every other interview I do moving forward, that is what I'm going to say. Yes. Um, You heard it here first. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. The way that I had initially structured the book in order to avoid the overwhelm was actually that if you go into each of those four sections, the actions are listed fairly loosely, but from the simplest to implement to the most challenging. So oh, to use great. an example, it would be like the first, one of the very first actions in the book is, is soul searching, just asking yourself what matters to you, you know, learning about things like the UN sustainable development goals and the sort of big issues that are plaguing society. So you sort of go into this understanding which areas you want to focus on, of course, because in, and then going all the way through to the idea of overhauling your lifestyle and relocating out of a city or cycling every day or, you know, doing those things that, that are more like lifestyle impact, eating less meat. Like the things that we know are going to make an impact, doing more advocacy, being more of an activist and being more political, the, these types of things that, that require a little bit more work. That's, that was really my, my original intention in how I would structure the book was just trying to make it so that someone like, I'll say who I was maybe like seven years ago mm-hmm. in advertising could pick up the book and flip to the first page and be like, okay, I can do that right now. 
And then maybe I'm going to put the book down and I'm going to go back into my working life and do a little more, see a little more, maybe be a little more mindful about issues that, I, that I'm seeing pop up and return to the book. And, and my hope is that it grows with people is something that can be sort of referenced as we go. And I'm hopeful, my, my publisher and I are both very hopeful that there will be future editions of the book as well that sort of continue. And I think, you know, when you're talking about ethics, you're talking about social justice issues, this is something that is always evolving. And so it will, I think, lend itself really well to, you know, new editions. And and uh, I, I mean, I spot actions all the time that I'm like, oh, I, I, like, I wanna put that in the book. So yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm gathering content as I go. What are your thoughts on accountability within the creative world? Because one of the things you talk about in the book is the comparison of regulated industries versus unregulated industries. So you have like doctors and lawyers, psychologists, but then creative, it's kind of a free for all, right? Like we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't live in a system where we have to, every year we have to register and there's none of that. And so what advice would you give to people who are within a design industry or whatever to kind of be accountable for their actions when it comes to their intention? Mm, that's a great question. If you're dedicated to working ethically, like an example is that a colleague of mine or a former colleague of mine who runs an agency in Toronto, she was approached recently to, to give free creative, free strategy, free marketing plan on spec, right? For And then maybe we'll give you the project. I so hate spec that. work is, yeah, it's the easy example and it happens to almost all of us at some point, but she uh, responded by by making it public, you know, put it on Twitter, uh, tagged the various advertising organizations who who are the ones who, even though it's unregulated, are sort of watchdogs and keeping an eye for these things and doing the work. There are certain organizations like the ICA, for example, who are keeping clients accountable to these types of things. So I think part of it is knowing the organizations, the nonprofits, like within your sort of sector who are doing that work on the ground, like RGD is a great example, who really champion accessibility and ethics and leveraging those folks where you can and getting that help. But in terms of personal accountability, like, God, I feel like we could like sit and talk about that for hours. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, yeah. I, I I don't even know. I think it's different for everyone. Like for me, it's kind of like what I talked about at the outset of this talk. Through most of my career, I felt like something wasn't right. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I don't have like a, a, a very tangible answer other than like it, it's like I could just feel it. I was I was anxious, I was unhappy. And, you know, I was getting briefed on things and selling things that weren't feeling good. Presentations were hard because uh, I learned after the fact that I was lying. I was selling things I didn't believe in, mm-hmm. right? So that, that was a big piece of it. And I, I think when it comes down to it, if you're someone with ethical intentions, you're someone who's just trying to do the right thing most of the time, then you'll know. You know when something doesn't feel right. And so I think it it goes back to mindfulness practice, which doesn't necessarily mean you meditate every day. Probably just means that you just notice when something comes up. You mentioned RGD. On that note, I just want to say congrats. Oh, thank you. (laughs) On Ethical Sellout. Thank you so much. So when was that? That was last month? Yeah, the 2020 Social Good Awards. Yeah, it Mm -hmm. won. uh, Yeah, I guess it would have been in May. In May that... So exciting. Yeah, and that's so, amazing. Yeah, I was really, really pleased to see that it that it won something. I mean, it's like ethical sellout is sort of where the conscious creative was conceived, right? Mm-hmm. And so to have some recognition from the industry for this project that I put my heart and soul into and like yeah. wrote and designed completely alone, like which is 
you know, not easy and, and kind of terrifying. It felt really good to get recognized mm-hmm. for that, for sure. Well, you're sure. doing good work. Also, speaking of good work, the cover, it's very Neville Brody to me. I look oh, at the yeah? cover. Yeah, that's, I see uh, Neville Brody. Cool. I loved it. It's got like a little bit of his uh, sort of chaos, but it's like mm. organized chaos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad you like it. I uh, I really liked that cover too. It's, uh, you know, it was really challenging was uh, as, as a visual designer, losing creative control over cover designs when you go with a publisher, right? So they have in-house designers who design all of their books. And luckily, I got a designer, a senior designer named Alicia Shuchuk, who designed the cover of The Conscious Creative. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. I would say it's much more broadly accessible. Like it's not just for a design audience anymore. Mm -hmm. You can sort of see that because obviously the conscious creative expands that set of the design and, and speaks to really anybody who touches the creative economy. Yeah, absolutely. So Kelly, you said a little bit about how, how much work that you've put into the conscious creative and how you kind of want to see further additions come forth, which I think is very much in line with that. And I agree with you completely. Like, there's just so much to expand on and it's such a good point of reference for people that they can pick up and keep keep referring back to. So do you have any other projects in the work or like going forward, are you kind of, this is what I want to focus on. You want to focus on work with your current agency and then maybe like expanding on further editions of the Conscious Creative. The book launches on August 4th. So while my, like my editor, uh, Michelle McAleese, who's incredible, and I often will talk about future editions it's something that I'm kind of parking for now until like the book gets released. I am also a little like cautiously optimistic. Like so far sentiment has been really positive around the book and the folks who have read it are, are into it. And I'm really grateful for that. And also I just want to see what happens when it goes out into the, into the world. Right. So we'll see whether it really resonates or not with folks hoping it does. And then I'll take it from there. But for now, I'm actually really feeling quite inspired at my current agency and focusing a lot of my intention, my attention there. They have gone through quite a significant leadership overhaul. And so there's this big opportunity for a rebrand that's happening, new site, all the things are happening there that I'm really, really excited about spearheading. And so that's great. Like I can't complain about leading, you know, the design and creative for an organization that is so full of integrity and they will only work with organizations who share our values, who are anti-oppressive, anti-racist, and not homophobic, all all of the things. And (laughs) that is such a refreshing and beautiful place to be that I just feel like it's an honor to be able to design for them and help build a creative team for them. So that's, that's my focus right now with, with of course the book and Googling how that's doing like hours a day. (laughs) Set your alert. Yeah, alerts. (laughs) Oh, I've set up my alerts. (laughs) I I knew I wasn't saying anything you didn't know. Totally. Yeah. It, It doesn't stop me from still Googling it. (laughs) <laughs> how could you not i google myself it's, to this day right it's it's hard not to it's like oh my god like i actually have a, like a decent presence online now what the hell is this so right now in this quote-unquote room there are three queer people having a conversation reading the book you could tell this was written by a queer person nice it, it was hilarious <laughs> yes. it's oh my so god. funny <laughs> 
the one line that was burned into my memory was when you wrote the insatiable bottom line. <laughs> and to me, I was like, this is gold. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. Like, did, did you mean for the book to be funny or are you just yeah. like innately hilarious? <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, I didn't like go out intentionally, but when I started writing, I don't know what it was, but like, I was, I was like, back out of depression land and I was like feeling myself again. And because I was writing my own book and my thesis itself was separate, which was like very academic and very yeah, serious. Of I was like, I can have any voice, any tone I want. I'm going to talk to people the way that I want to be spoken to. Like, yeah. I don't want to pick up a book that is impossible to get through. That is just like riddled with like really challenging language that is just very like specific and kind of jargony. I, uh, I tried to keep it light and accessible and um, I did my best to sit down and write as if I was actually talking to someone. And so I think that's why like some of the quips came out and I also did my best to write it when I was in a decent mood, you know, um, <laughs> like, as I guess is just a good idea. Like, and I found if I, if I wrote at a time where I was like a little bit bitter about something like that would come through in the voice <laughs> and I would come back and rewrite it because while I am a champion of people feeling all of their feelings and being whole humans, I wanted this book to be a bit of a light in topic area that can be super dark, super depressing. Yes. I read some like books about ethics that basically just let, left me feeling like the world was on fire. And um, I, I know enough from working in advertising that that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> people don't want that. People, people want to believe that there's hope. And, and I truly do believe that. But I think as communication designers, as like I'm a communication designer, the way you design your communication in a book is incredibly important. So I was very mindful of tone. And if I felt like things were getting too heavy without being disrespectful to the topic, I wanted to inject a little bit of, of life and levity. It right? did. It was so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was ready for today because I knew based on how you wrote the book that this was going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for saying that. That's very cool. So I don't have like a cool segue for this question, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Ikigai because that's the first, I had never heard of it before. So your book is the first place that I've ever come across mm -hmm. that concept. So do you mind talking a little bit about it, explaining what it is and why it was so revolutionary for you to, to come across? So in that first semester that I was, no, it was the second semester, like after I had taken the break, it was maybe the first class back after taking that one year break. And my professor had projected Ikigai on the screen and yeah, it's a four circle uh, Venn diagram. Uh, ikigai being the, uh, it's, it translates roughly to a reason for being, that being at the center. And each of the four circles are, what do you love? What does the world need? What are you good at? And then the last one is what can you be paid for? Yeah. And I saw that and I realized that in order to exist in capitalist society to find fulfillment to be able to take care of myself and my family I have to incorporate that fourth circle of what you can be paid for and it was that piece that I had really been 
tripped up on for so long, I think because of so much of what I had read about like ethics not being able to coexist within capitalism. And so it was just like my mind sort of exploded in that moment. And I was like, okay, okay, this is like, (laughs) maybe I can do this. And uh, and I stared at that diagram forever and I made a ton of notes and I, I really challenged myself to answer those questions about what I loved and what I'm good at and what the world needs. And, you know, in looking at things like, what am I good at? One of the things that I really hadn't tapped into a great deal in my life, but knew that was something that I really loved to do and, and was decent at was writing. And I really do think that that Ikigai uh, is, I think it's a beautiful philosophy for life. I think it's a deeply practical philosophy for life, which I really appreciated after the, you know, pontificating and all of the academic stuff that I was reading that was like basically leading me nowhere. And it, uh, it just kind of inspired me to, uh, to get started and write the book and it like injected this fire in me. That's awesome. I, yeah, I was looking at it as well. And I was like, I need this. I need more of this in my life. That practical aspect that allows me to like, love, like do what I love and fulfill my passions too. Cause right now I'm mostly in the, what am I being paid for to pay my mortgage? Totally. section of the Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very, I mean, I think I should caveat all of this with like, there's no, I don't think there's any perfect balance that anybody finds, but yeah. I think the intention towards it and the the just sort of mindful awareness of, of working towards those things and having those goals is pretty important. We are starting this platform because we really want to connect with other creatives who are doing what we are aiming to achieve in our own careers. Yeah, There's so many different voices out there. Everybody has their own kind of storyline and it's just to kind of, listen, we're like in the early stages of this, but we really are passionate about what, what it is that we're doing because to me, just to be able to talk to you and to hear your story that is so similar to my own. I mean, you're, you've done a lot more with your career, but it's that thing where it's, it's not out of reach. You know, it's that it's, it, there is, it's that hope. It's that I can actually make a difference with what I'm doing. And it's not just selling shit to people that they don't need. I just want to say as somebody else who's in therapy and like on my own mental health journey and has dealt with chronic illness, both mine and my family members, that I do think that it's incredibly brave and also really wonderful of you to like share your own experiences because that part of the story is left out so much of the time, right? It's like, you just see like this person was here at point A and then they got to point B and whatever happened in between, I don't know, it doesn't matter because now they're here, you know what I mean? But like acknowledging that and talking about it and talking about how we're trying to be good people, we're trying to exist in this broken system. This is huge. It's anyway. I no, I'm that. with you. There's a, there's a big messy middle that nobody talks about. And it really messed me up for a lot of years. Cause I was like, what, like, why is this yeah. so hard for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, like, that's well, wait a second. Me. It's hard for everybody. We just don't talk about it. It's super taboo. So I promised myself that like coming out of this journey, I was going to be as honest as I felt comfortable with and like really yeah. try and push myself to just be, be real about how, hard it actually is to dismantle all of those ideas about 
success and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to achieve by a certain like stage in life and all of these things. Oh, 100%. Um, and, and yeah, like how, um, how queerness intersects with mental health can intersect with racial injustice can intersect. Like, I think it's important to bring that intersectionality into it. I also suffer from chronic pain. Like it, it's, yes. it impacts, it impacts your life in a really dramatic way on top of, you know, being queer in the industry on top of already being different. You have these needs that you kind of feel like you can't ask for support on because you're already just like, am I kind of just lucky to be here? I think we need more open discourse about that. And I think that's going to be a big piece uh, of the puzzle as we move forward and like start designing that post pandemic world that we actually yes. want to work in. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to be pretty vocal about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's more integration now than ever between home life and work life, right? And where it used to be this thing of, well, you still you still see it, right? There's so many systems and barriers and discrimination in corporate culture, especially where it's like, you know, they're more likely to hire just like a man because he presents as not having a family or whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. And now you're on video calls with your colleagues who have, you know, like I was on a video call earlier today where one of my coworkers' sons started beatboxing in the middle of the call. And then like <laughs> a couple amazing. of my other coworkers started beatboxing back to him. And it was very sweet. It was very <laughs> cute. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily have like gone over like in a boardroom if she had just mm. volunteered like an anecdote about her son beatboxing. And it yeah. was, I, it like brought me a lot of joy to see how receptive people were to it. And nobody complained about the meeting being interrupted. Like it was very, yeah, it was nice. It was sweet. I know it's so human, isn't it? Just seeing yes. people's like animals and children scurrying yes. around in the background, their partners, or even, even just like the simple fact of like seeing where you live. The notion of professionalism is so problematic. The like oh, the yes. way you're supposed to dress, the way you're supposed to speak, the yeah. way you're supposed to present. I've been reading a lot of articles lately about how professionalism is inherently racist. And yes. I can completely yep. see that. And I think it is a problematic in all the ways. And let's just be done with it. Please. I don't want to hear that word ever again. Yep. All I can say on that is as soon as I decided to stop trying to be this professional and just authentically be myself and utilize that as a tool to move my business ahead, it was like an instant switch and it just moved me ahead so quickly and I never look back. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. It's like, and, and then it's actually sustainable. Like you can yeah. keep it up because yes. you're not yes. like putting on the robot face every day and like using all of your energy to try and like mm -hmm. be this person, which is just exhausting. Yeah. So I'm mm -hmm. glad to hear that. I, uh, I totally feel the same way. The closer I get to like my authentic self, the easier my days become. I have a segue into one more question and then I swear to God, I'm done. So <laughs> I wrote this question after I finished reading the book because I thought it was really important and it had to do with one of the overarching themes, which is why is it so important for creatives, clients, and corporations to act ethically? Like, why is that in our best interest? I'm going to use the word ethically as you've framed it and equitably interchangeably. Because I think if you're being ethical, then you're, you're working toward equity it just will help us to design a world, design a working life, design family lives, create structures um, and systems that allow for every person to live with dignity and more equitably and not this like disgusting disparity in wealth that we're seeing. 
as well as you know protecting natural systems that we haven't been and protecting animal life and it's as simple as and utopian <laughs> as <laughs> equitable living for all living creatures you know that's the utopian ideal <laughs> that yeah. we can all just exist and thrive and we all have enough it's uh, it's a pipe dream, but I'm I'm gonna work towards it. Yeah. Can you run for prime minister? Because <laughs> yes! I feel like this is this is what we need. Oh Seriously. man, I would be a terrible politician. <laughs> Way too honest. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't lie. I have like a really bad lying face. So oh, same. Yeah. I think it fits so beautifully with all of the things that you've talked to us about today, Kelly. And I just want to thank you again mm -hmm. so much. Like just all yes. of the pieces fit together, right? If we're going to design a better world for ourselves, where we move away from that feeling of like discontentment and sort of discomfort that we have and moving towards accountability. How can you be accountable for something that makes you feel gross, right? That you're participating in. And so the only choice we have is to action that we are the people who will move it forward right we are responsible for driving that change and especially as you said like we the three of us i think here we do have a modicum of privilege like we you know what i mean there again because it's all intersectional there are certain pieces of the puzzle where we're at a disadvantage but we also do have privilege and we need to act with that privilege Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for having me. This has been a blast and your questions were amazing. And thank you for reading the book. Thank you for championing the book. That means a ton as like fellow queers in design. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for being part of the journey. Do you want to do a creative power up to you or you want to, you want to take I do over? actually. Oh, okay. No, I do. So at the end of every episode, we like to do a thing called creative power-up. So we kind of touch in on or check in on what is inspiring you as of late, like right now in your life. What is getting you going? What are you, what are you engaging with creatively? Oh, okay. That's a good question. <laughs> it could be literally anything. <laughs> yeah. Like we've talked okay, about so TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have a choice right now to talk about either 90 Day Fiance or... <laughs> or like the new season of Drag Race or Drag Race yes. Canada or yes. the like social justice movements that I'm spending a lot of time on. Yes, <laughs> so I mean all of it. That's mm -hmm. a tough one, my friends. <laughs> so I will, I will plug, actually they're a client of ours now and it's an organization called The Leap. They mm -hmm. were started by, I don't know if you're familiar with them, co-founded by Naomi Klein, who's a very mm -hmm. well-known author and activist. And I am finding myself incredibly inspired by the kinds of content that they put out and the way that they talk about issues and there was a really beautiful example that actually a lot of people were talking about and it was the simplest execution. It was this little post on social, these little very, very colorful illustrated cards that sort of in a narrative just like walked you through fictional scenarios of what it would look like if, for example, someone was having like a mental health crisis and mm -hmm. uh, needed support and, you know, instead of calling the police, they would dial 311 yeah. and a support team would go and support them. You may have seen them floating around. They got shared pretty widely. And it's that kind of simple storytelling and vision for the future and uh, sharing that in that sort of visionary mindset that really captures people's imagination. It's really just about the storytelling that can be done 
when you, I think, think like a designer and use that vision and that foresight to sort of pay it forward a little bit and help people imagine a different way of life instead of being angry and sort of screaming. It's, a, it's again, yeah. it's a different way of designing your communication. And I find that that organization in particular is doing really well. I've seen so much of that on social media and it actually makes me think about how there's such an inherent link between being creative and forcing perspective shifts and how many people I've seen who are creative, some of whom don't even identify that way, but they're so eloquent. Mm. Like they write, they're producing graphics and cards, just as you said, that are meant to really challenge the dominant paradigm and say like, Mm -hmm. imagine, imagine what this would look like and how different it would be. And it's incredible. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, and I think uh, an interesting thing, like what you just said about the idea that there are so many designers who don't identify as designers. There's a book called Design When Everybody Designs by a guy named Ezio Manzini, who heads up the social innovation, uh, design for social innovation. He talks about that a lot and, and how we are all capable of being designers and thinking like designers and facilitating. And he really touts the idea of the designer as the facilitator instead of the top down sort of patriarchal like or paternalistic like finger wagging. This is what you should do. I am the expert. I know. Right. Um, and I really love that. You know, I use those cards as an example. And they're not something that you would see in like a design awards annual. That's not going to happen, right? But they're designed really well. It it goes much deeper than the aesthetics that I was taught when I first went to design school. And so I think our, our overarching notions of like what design is and can be are continuing to just like blow up. And I'm loving that so much. Oh, this was so great. Kelly, thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This was amazing. Pumped me up too. Super inspiring. Thank you for reading the book for real. Hey, I've never met a book I haven't read. No, that's not true. I have not read some books, but this was a pleasure to read. (laughs) Great. So if people want to buy the book, where can they find it? Yeah, so the book is actually available at most independent bookstores. So uh, the, the best thing to do if you're in Canada is just call your favorite local independent bookstore and ask to pre-order it. It comes out on August 4th, so you'll get it pretty soon. And you can also get it through Barnes & Noble, Indigo, and Amazon. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you online, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Kelly underscore small because at Kelly Small has been taken by someone who never <laughs> tweets, but then blocked me when I asked for the handle. Oh no! <laughs> it was like back in like, I don't know, 2010. I'm, I'm kind of over it, but I'm also like still a little bit better. Or uh, my website is kellysmall.ca. So if you want to know more, see some of my book, you can check that out. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Honestly, this has been a joy. And I don't say that lightly. I really mean oh, it. Like, thank you no, so much for doing incredible. this. incredible. Yeah. Yep, my absolute pleasure. This was great. And let's please stay in touch. Don't doubt that the next time I'm up in Toronto, I will 100% be hitting you up. Oh, oh do it. Yeah, 100%. You guys Hopefully are going to Hopefully by then those... we can actually like have a, have a social. Yeah. yeah. Go for those meat patties and grapefruit. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> meat patties. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> So I want to thank everyone to listening to me. And me and Kelly. And if you have any burning questions or you want to know more about that spot by the Grange where you can get the beef patties with the grapefruit juice, you can <laughs> <laughs> email us 
Uh, our inboxes are open. You can email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com. That's the number two, or you can DM us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what you hear, let us know by rating this podcast and subscribing. And the music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Ciao. Arrivederci.